You know, after that intro, I wish I was standing up here with a fan and a cape blowing, you know, it's like, don't worry, you know, it's like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I had somebody even ask me this last week, they said, well, you're going through this series on heroes, I mean, is that, you know, it's interesting and all, but, I mean, I can't be a hero, and a lot of times we feel that way, and we think, well, heroes means, like, superhero, you know, somebody who is faster than a speeding bullet, and can leap tall buildings in a single bound. The truth is, the people in the Bible that were heroes, ordinary folks, just like you and me. Now, if you ever wonder what kind of people can God use, what kind of people are celebrated as heroes in the Bible? People who trust the Lord and obey, even when they're scared to death. You're going to meet a guy like that today. His name's Gideon. It's the outline inside your bulletin. Lord himself, the angel of the Lord, calls him a hero, and he was scared to death. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll jump right in and ask God to do his work in our lives too. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you used a man like Gideon. I know these stories are in there to give us encouragement. They're in your word, and I pray today you'll speak and move me out of the way. And even if we're scared to death to do what you're calling us to do, we'd gain some encouragement today. In a moment of silence, before we get any further, if you'd ask the Lord to give you strength and encouragement today, I'd appreciate it. So just pray right now and say, God, speak to me today. Give me encouragement. I want to be the person you want me to be. I want the strength to do hard things if you call me to do them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Doing hard things if you call me to do them. The Bible uh, tells us that God calls a lot of people to follow him, even in times where it looked like, oh, man, Lord, I can't handle that. Well, this is one of them. And that's why we study these stories, because we gain encouragement. We're not the first generation to live, and sometimes we act like it, and that's a big mistake. We're not the first people in the world that have ever had to trust God. Gideon certainly did. And here's a little bit of backstory, so you know this. When the Israelites began to worship other gods, this is point one in your outline, the Lord allowed them to be overrun by other nations. The deal had been, when they came from the promised land, I'll be your God, you be my people. I'll protect you, you honor me. When you're afraid, come to me. When you don't know where to go, come to me. You get in a battle, if somebody attacks you, I'll give you strength and courage. I'll give you the victory. Just come to me. Don't turn to other gods. Obey me. But they moved into the promised land. There were other nations that were there. And some of these other nations that were there, uh, well, they worshiped other gods. And some of those other uh, religious constructs had a completely different understanding of what holiness and sexual immorality and other things were. And in some cases, the people said, hey, we like the deal that's going on with that more than... We like following the God of the Bible, even though the God of the Bible is the only real God. And so God had warned them. He said, if you follow after the gods of other nations, well, then I'll let you suffer the consequences like other nations. If you come to me, I'll protect you. If you want to go on your own, well, it won't go well with you. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. This is from Judges chapter 6. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. So even though they're in the promised land, they're hiding in the caves in the promised land. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So, the, so Israel was reduced for starvation by the Midianites, and then... The Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And if you'd underline, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. They'd forgotten all about God. 
They wanted to be just like the other nations. And they didn't want to obey God's rules. And they didn't want to trust God for help. But when things got bad enough, they finally went, hey, wait a minute. God was the one who rescued our ancestors. Maybe he can help us too. Here's a life application. God helps those who cry out to him for help. I know some of you already had written in help themselves, but that's not what the Bible teaches. God helps those who cry out to him for help. And if you're here today and, um, man, you need to be reminded of that, please be reminded right now. God loves us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And he wants to bring us back. This is a whole generation of people who had turned their backs on God. And had done so because they didn't want to follow his rules. They wanted to shake off all those burdensome commandments and things. They wanted to live like other people. And all of a sudden they realized, my goodness, we need the Lord. And when they cried out for help, God heard their prayer. Psalm 50 verse 15, the Lord himself says it this way. Then call on me when you're in trouble. I'll rescue you and you will give me glory. Jesus said, come to me if you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll give you rest. Come to me. Call on me. Quit running away. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul also said, God saved you by his grace. If you circle the word grace, it just means undeserved kindness. God saved you by his undeserved kindness when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. You get saved because you need saving. That's the good news. The bad news is we all are wretches, okay, sinful. People come to me and go, I hate to tell you what I've done. You'll think I'm a sinner. I go, well, I already knew you were a sinner, okay? Because I'm one too. But here's the good news. Jesus came to save sinners. If that's good news, would you say amen? Amen. Well, now, if God would send his son to die on the cross for our sins, why is he going to withhold direction when we need direction? Why is he going to withhold wisdom when we need wisdom? Why is he going to withhold strength to follow through on a hard assignment? Well, he won't. And the New Testament writers write about this too. Look, if he didn't spare his own son to save us from our sins, why is he going to withhold all the rest of that? Well, he won't. So why don't we call on him more? Or am I the only one that struggles with that? No, John, you're the only one. Okay, well then let's just move on. No, this is true, isn't it? This is where we are. The children of Israel were there. Gideon and all his people hadn't been turning to the Lord. And they were reaping the consequences. And they finally did it. One other thing, if you could write in the margin, you don't have to hit rock bottom to turn to the Lord. If you realize you're going down the wrong path, I mean, if you realize you're going the wrong way, the best time to turn around is as soon as you realize it. And I'm a man in saying that, okay, as a driver, okay? If you realize you're going the wrong way, the smart thing to do is turn around as soon as possible. Do not accelerate. And the children of Israel were brought to their knees because the Midianites, and man, they needed help, and they cried out, and God sent them a deliverer. And here's where Gideon comes in. Now we're to the hero. And he did not have a cape on. God called Gideon, point two, a very unlikely hero to rescue his people. No perfect hair, no perfect teeth, no muscle-bound guys standing with a cape on saying, gentlemen, I'll help you. Don't worry. God sent me. It was none of that at all. Here's how it happened. 
Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. These Midianite raiders had come in. They were um, people who had just come in at the harvest season, right, when the crops were at their height, and they would steal everything. Like locusts come and graze their cattle and their camels, and they would take all the grain, all the produce, and just they just decimated the place. And then they'd move on and uh, to the next territory. And uh, Gideon was hiding from them. Apparently it was harvest season. He'd gathered some grain. Normally you went up on a hilltop and you'd beat out the grain out of the heads on the stalks. You'd take a winnowing fork and throw the grain and the straw up in the air. The wind would blow the straw away and the grain would come down. And you could collect it and you could eat it or go sell it. And you could make bread with it, do whatever you want. But here's the picture of a guy. A wine press was just a little pit where you would go and stomp on the grapes in order to make grape juice that would ferment into wine. And Gideon's down in this pit. And he's apparently there pounding out the heads of grain in just a little area and probably doing it real quietly. And so he won't get caught. And you can picture a guy that would look out in between, you know, and then go back to work. That's what we're picturing here. Not this, this. Okay, he's scared. Because if he's up on the hilltop, they'll come take whatever grain he has and kill him. So an angel of the Lord appears to him. The angel of the Lord appears to him, this guy in the little pit there, and he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's going, who are you talking to? I mean, it's pretty much this, because sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all those miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And you can tell Gideon hadn't been spending any time reviewing the word that Moses had written down for them to review. I mean, it's one of those things, again, I make bad choices, I do dumb things, I rebel against God's word, and then I suffer the consequences. And who do I blame? God. Why'd you let that happen to me? Because I gave you a free will and I wanted you to obey me. I want you to love and trust me. Why, where's all, where are all the miracles now? If God's really with us and he's going to send to deliver, where are all the miracles? And this is such a marvelous statement because the Lord kind of does a redirect on this. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Well, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. <laughs> Gideon's going, he's there. I'm having to hide in this wine press because the Midianites are overrunning our land. I'm afraid I'm going to die up there. You're telling me the Lord's going to rescue people. Fat chance, where is he? Well, it's funny you should say that. He's sending a deliverer. Who? You. I mean, look, I mean, he's shocked because it goes on. He goes, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh. There were 12 tribes. And I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, because I'll be with you. Please circle that. That's going to come up again. I'll be with you. And you'll destroy the Midianites as if you're fighting against one man. Life application. God chooses to use unlikely people as his representative. Paul wrote about this in the New Testament. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast, be, boast before him. Do you know that God loves to use ordinary people? He used to, loves to use unlikely people. In fact, he prefers it. And so if you and I ever feel challenged by God to be a part of a mission trip, to lead a small group, to go and get involved because two of our friends need somebody to be a peacemaker and help reconcile them in a relationship. But who am I? I'm no counselor. I'm no pastor. I'm no superhero. You're perfect. I can't lead a small group. I've never been to seminary. I know. You'll do perfect. But Lord, how can I do it? Because I will be with you. And that's the next life application. We don't need to be afraid when God asks us to do hard things because God is with us. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know who he told that to? The 12 most unlikely disciples you would ever pick. Fishermen, tax collectors, people that didn't have any kind of special education. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, Hey, I want you guys to go and make disciples of the whole world. I don't know if you've ever thought about it before. We quote that here, that great commission. Go and make disciples of the whole world. And I'm sure the disciples were kind of going... Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a big job. Okay. How are we going to do that? Oh, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. That's how you and I have the courage to face the future unafraid because God is with us. If that's good news, would you say amen? Amen. That's how we're going to have the wisdom to know. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I have to lean on God because God is definitely the smartest person in the world. He's the smartest person in the whole universe. I don't have to be the strongest person in the room. I'm relying on the strength of God, and he's the strongest in the universe. I don't have to have all the courage in the world. The Lord is my strength, and he'll give me courage. And he loved showing off with Gideon. He loved it. Because his people had turned their back on him. They cried out for help. He goes, okay, I'm going to choose the least likely guy. And I'm going to bring about a victory in the least likely way. So people remember that I'm God. And they can depend on me. Not on their own strength. And you'll see as the story goes on. The story unfolds. Point three. Well, Gideon didn't have much confidence in God's promises. An angel of the Lord had spoken to him. And um, so he knew the direction to go. But then he got an army assembled. He sent out word and uh, that God was using him. He was going to be the captain of this or the general of this whole thing. And he was going to organize a military response to the Midianites and other things. And so he sent out word and, um, and a bunch of people showed up. But before he went any further, this is point three, he needed some confidence. And then Gideon said to God, okay, now if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me this way. I'll put out a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I'll know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that's just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, wrung out a whole bowl full of water, and then Gideon said, good, now let's go. Not quite. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test because I'm still really scared, okay? There are lots of Midianites, and the army that showed up this would have been a bunch of farmers and businessmen and, you know, and 
untrained soldiers and they're against all these guys on camels and stuff. This looks pretty daunting to me. So please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the crown around it is wet with dew. And so that night, God did as Gideon asked. And the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. And finally, Gideon was convinced. I mean, this just shows you how afraid he was. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. Don't ever think the fleece was out there to determine God's will, should he fight or not. The angel of the Lord had told him that out loud. This wasn't to determine God's will. This was to give him courage. He was scared to death. You know, it's a funny thing when you talk to heroes, people who rescue people from a burning building, you know, a fireman or somebody who does some heroic act. Many times people talk to them and they go, man, I can't believe you were so brave that you weren't afraid. And they go, who said I wasn't afraid? I was terrified. I just knew that I needed to do it. Well, Gideon was terrified. And there's a life application here, though. And so he was just looking for confidence. Lord, I know you told me to do it. I know, you, I know you've rescued people in the past, but Lord, I've got to have some assurance, okay? Let the fleece be wet. And he rings out a whole bowl of water. That's pretty good. But there's still a lot of them. Lord, can I get another test? This is not held up as a great thing. This is just letting you know where he was and that God was willing to use somebody who was this timid and this, this afraid. Now, to his credit... I mean, the army that had assembled didn't look any match for all the people on these camels, and they were still outnumbered, probably three or four to one. And the life application here for you and me is, in order to have confidence in God, we need to know his will, his ways, and his promises as revealed in his word. If Gideon had been spending time meditating on the amount of scripture that they had and had been listening to God's promises and had been recalling all the miracles God had done in the past, he would have had a lot more confidence. But he didn't know God very well. And it's really hard to trust somebody we don't know. Everybody understand what I'm talking about here? And so we want signs. And God, I, I know I need to do this. I know I need to go make an apology. But Lord, um, uh, can, you, can you give me another sign? Because I really don't want to make this apology. Lord, I know I need to sign up for that class and start going back to school again. I really feel like you want me to do this. But Lord, I'm, I'm scared. Can you give me another sign? And instead of using God's word and spending time with him and spending time with other Christians who've also engaged this, who can give us wisdom and insight and praying together and asking God's Holy Spirit to guide us into truth, we, man, we're looking for all these signs. We're setting up these tests because that'll prove it. And it's so hard to even make sense of most of those things. And we can get them so wrong. And we set up all these arbitrary things. And then that's, that's how I'll know. Instead of going to God's word. When Paul wrote Timothy about discerning right from wrong and knowing how to live. He said, look, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, the scripture, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's why we're teaching this story from scripture right now, because we'll learn these principles now from Gideon's life. And then when I face hard situations, scary situations, I can go, well, this is the way God dealt with Gideon. I don't need to keep putting fleeces out. I mean, some of you have heard me share this story before, but we can get in ridiculous situations when we keep demanding a sign. The most extreme of this was a fellow who wanted to know if he should marry a girl, and he'd been telling me, he'd been going back and forth on this, he wanted to come see me about it, and I told him to come see me. We set up an appointment after work one day, and he showed up in my office about five minutes early and came on in. I said, he said, hey, we don't need to meet. I know I need to marry her. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, and I was working at... Uh, 
Fraser Methodist Montgomery at the time, and he was driving from downtown Montgomery. He'd come down the Atlanta highway and hit green lights the whole way. And I said, well, now that's a miracle. I'll give you that. Okay. It doesn't ever happen to me. Okay. But he goes, so God's given me the green light. I went, wow. And he said, you disagree? And I said, I think he gave you the green light so you'd get here faster so you wouldn't make a bad decision. He goes, oh my gosh. All of a sudden now we're depending on green lights. Hey, why don't we sit and sit down and we wrote out a list of the things that the values that are important to him as a Christian and what he needed to be looking for in a spouse and what kind of commitments he was going to make in marriage and would she honor those commitments too? And then we looked at these things and she was a good woman, by the way. And we talked about all this and he goes, oh, well, I have great confidence in. I go, yeah, even if you hit a red light or even if it's yellow, caution. And we can't live our lives this way. If we've got God's word on it, why wouldn't we go with that? If we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who can help us understand the parts we don't know, why wouldn't we be in a small group and compare notes? Why wouldn't we pray for each other? Why wouldn't we pray to God ourselves and ask him to give us this wisdom? Again, if Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he's going to withhold wisdom so we know how to live with the life he saved us to live? Come on. I need a sign. Well, Gideon really didn't need a sign. He just needed courage. That's what the signs gave him. He already knew what to do. The task didn't change. And that brings us to point four. God enabled Gideon to miraculously defeat a vast army with only 300 men. And put God in there. Not skill, intellect, luck, none of that. That's not how he won. In fact, God even upped the odds a lot. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If all of you fight against the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, go and tell the people, whoever's timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. And so 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000. <laughs> what a great army. This was not a batch of green berets, okay? <laughs> 32,000, 22,000 go, I'm out of here. And they fled. Okay, now you're down to 10. But the Lord told Gideon, it's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I'll test them to determine who will go and who will not. And then by the way they drank their water, the Lord identified 300 of them. And the Lord told Gideon, with 300 men, these 300 men, I'll rescue and give you victory of the Midianites. Send all the others home. And so with 300 people, Gideon went to battle. This is the guy who was hiding in the wine press. This is the guy going, I know you want me to lead this, but Lord... If you're you're really going to do it, I mean, because this looks really big to me, then make the fleece wet. Okay, that's good. Now, if you're really, really, really going to do it, then make the fleece dry. Okay, you're really going to do it. Yeah, but you got too many. Oh, Lord. Here's a note here that should give us some encouragement. God gave Gideon one final confidence booster. That night, the Lord said to him, this is right before he's going to attack. Go down to the Midianite camp, for I've given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, then go down to the camp. So Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. And the man said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down in the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, knocked it flat. And his companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over the Midian, 
over Midian and all of its allies. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshiped before the Lord. And then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And he realized that he worships the God of the universe who can trouble men's dreams. Gideon couldn't do that. He got inside their dreams. Do you and I believe we worship a God that's that powerful? We sing songs about it, but do we really believe it? Well, then why would we be afraid? Somebody needs to speak up in my company about this thing that's going on, but not me, Lord. Surely not me, Lord. I'm in the smallest department in the company, and I'm the low man on the totem pole. That's exactly what Gideon said, if you've ever felt that way. Lord, send someone. Good. How about you? Not me. Lord, something needs to be done. How come you're standing back not caring? You're right. I'm going to send you. Dang. What if the Lord wanted you and me to make a difference? He does. In our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods. What if he wanted us to be the one to do something that we said, Lord, I can't do it. But what if he's calling us? What if? I think it's so amazing here, and the reason I marked that confidence booster was the Lord met Gideon right where he was. That's why he did the fleece thing. That's why he even let him hear the dream, because he knew how afraid Gideon was. But here's what's interesting. God understood Gideon's fear, but he didn't change his assignment. He understood his fear, but he didn't excuse him from his assignment. God had a good work for him to do. And my friends, God's going to call us to step out in faith too. He's going to give us some hard things. We don't need to be afraid. That's why this story's in here. Hero, that's Gideon. Afraid, scared to death. God used him anyway. He divided his 300 men into three groups, gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it, and then he said to him, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow yours. Blow yours too. And all around the camp, so they'd surrounded the camp, sit on these hilltops, had a torch in a jar, each one of them. So the flame would have been hidden until just the right time. Blow your horns too all around the camp and shout for the Lord and Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing the guard. Suddenly they blew their ram's horns, broke the clay jars, they held up the blazing torches in their left hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and Gideon. Each man stood in his own position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. So all of a sudden, these guys are in a deep sleep. The Lord is troubling the, even their dreams. They wake up, and there are horns blowing. They're surrounded. There are men with torches. And for all they know, there's a 1,000 people with each one of these guys blowing the horn. And so all of a sudden now, they're surrounded by 300,000 people in the middle of the night. Sheer panic in Bedlam breaks out. They start running and they're tripping over stuff in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, they're already in the camp. And so they come out and they start stabbing anybody who's running past them. It's pitch black. They don't know. And they're fighting each other, killing each other. And Gideon and his men simply need to watch. The Lord fought the battle for them. 
and rescued them. Midian never attacked again. Life application. We need to trust God's strength more than our own. Would that describe you and me? The Bible says that's a hero. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. My grace is all you need. Paul wrote about this. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. Man, what a great attitude. Is God calling you to be the one who, like I said before, makes an apology, starts a small group, reaches out to a friend in your neighborhood? Is God calling you into a place you've never been before and you go, oh, Lord, I can't do it? Well, the Lord knows that. That's why he says, I'll be with you. You might not be able to do it. I can. And today we're going to observe the Lord's Supper because it's the ultimate demonstration of God doing something we can't do. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid a penalty we could never pay. I'm going to let the site pastors at each of our locations um, break away now so they can lead um, in the Lord's Supper right where you are. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He passed it among his disciples and he said, I want you to eat of this. This is my body broken for you. The next day when they saw his body hanging on the tree, on the cross, they understood he was paying a penalty they couldn't pay. I can't die for your sins. You can't die for mine. Even if I want to. Because I'm just as much a sinner as you are. But the Bible says Jesus... It's God in the flesh. God became human, lived a sinless life. And Jesus, the Son of God, died in my place and yours. So in a minute, when we invite you to come and pick up some bread, we want you to take it. And then when you return to your seat after everybody's been served, we'll eat it together and remind ourselves that Jesus' body was broken for you and me. He did something I can't do, ever. I can't pay for my sins or yours. You can't pay for mine. But Jesus paid the sins of us all. At that same meal, Jesus took a cup of wine, passed it among his disciples, and he said, I want you to drink of this. This is my blood shed for you. Takes away the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus washes us clean, washes our souls clean. That's why we can proclaim the good news, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, because of the blood of Jesus. I can't wash myself clean. You can't either. Jesus can. Now tie it all together with what we've heard from Gideon. I need saving from sin and death. You know who did that? Jesus. I can't do this myself. And if God sent his own son to die on the cross for my sins, why is he going to withhold wisdom? Why is he going to withhold courage? Why is he going to withhold understanding and direction when we call on him. He won't. And that's why we eat this meal, to remind ourselves of who we are and who he is and what he did for us anyway. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to invite you to come. We have stations at the front of the room, out in the hallway. We'll open the doors. You go out there and you pick up a small piece of bread and a small cup of grape juice. Return to your seats. Take about three minutes for everybody to be served. All the stations are the same. doesn't matter which one you go to. When you return to your seat, I'll have a few instructions. We'll eat of the bread and drink of the cup together.
If you're not ready to do this, if you're still thinking about all these things and you say, I'm not ready to do that today, there's no pressure. But if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you acknowledge it, he paid a penalty you can't pay. And it's his strength that we depend on, not just for eternal life, but for our very life right now. Well, then you come because we'll eat this together and celebrate his goodness. Lord, we pray that you will bless this meal today and you remind us of all the things you do that we can never do. That's why we worship you. Forgive us our sins. They are many. Forgive us for how we doubt you. We know we do. And strengthen us through this meal. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.